music from a compilation named Freaky Wa, Freaky Wa Collection 2. The artist was Nebo Solo. We heard his track from uh, an earlier album that was remixed in 2000. The track was named Numu Foley. It was remixed in 2000 by Frederick Gallano and that remix is found again on Freaky Wa Collection 2. Nebo Solo is the original Malian artist. Before that, from the classic introducing DJ Shadow gave us Changeling and we started out having a funky good time with James Brown and the JBs. The track is doing it to death and I had a short time to do it to death today, but I did my best for you. So we're going to head out of here after this short run on the morning train. And until we ride again next Friday at 10 a.m., this is J.D. Buell saying, make it a great day for someone. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground 
Underground Comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission High vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission High for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds.
Okay, I want to express an opinion now. I have just learned that uh, the street naming at Taylor and Turk, which happened at, uh, at the end of Trans March this year, I was on the committee to change the name, street name, and I voted for Compton Cafeteria Riot Way. I've learned that it is now Gene Compton's Cafeteria Way, which is not speak to the event that happened 50 years ago, which is the reason the street was being renamed. I feel dishonored, betrayed that this has occurred. I'm, I'm not interested in Gene Compton's being honored or uh, glorified. So this, does, this excludes the event, which is the historical event of the riot. I'm very unhappy about this. And, and uh, I don't think this moves the transgender uh, agenda forward. I'm why, very why are so many people disgusted that Gene Compton is being yeah, honored? Gene Compton is the man who called the police, who wanted the transgender people out of there. So he called the police yes. on trans yes. women and, and, and men, and now he's being honored. And, and not, yes, he's being honored, and people walking past there will never know anything about a riot from reading the name of that street. I am so I am I am so sorry that they exploited you and did not include you and this is I I I I am so sorry that that happened. I really am. Like well, I I feel your pain because it's 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 a you know using us as props. These politicians using us as props. It's just, it, they just keep on reinventing ways to do it, and but I feel your pain. Does, this does not advance our cause. It actually, it's back, backwards. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for, like, all you and everyone did in the 60s and 70s, because if it weren't for you guys, I don't think we would have as many rights as we do today, and I am so proud of your strength and your dedication. And you're, and uh, you know things will things will be made right. Just don't you know hang in there, okay? Actually, this is going to make me work harder at, at this for this cause. It is, and I'm, I'm gravely disappointed in that. Hello, and welcome to the weekly review. This is Roman here. It's Friday, August nineteenth, two thousand sixteen. And we're here in the Mission District in lovely San Francisco. I uh, just heard an interview that was uh, sent to me um, from Ashley Love. Thank you very much, Ashley, for uh, sending this uh, my way. Uh, so this was a trans icon, Donna Persona, um, speaking about the, the whitewashing of the Compton cafeteria riots, which we know happened in San Francisco before Stonewall. And it was uh, trans folks um, speaking up against uh, police who were constantly harassing them, and they were, and the and the folks fought back, and there was this idea that they would name the street after the riot, and instead they named it after Gene Compton, who was the 
person who called the cops in the first place. So that's really a, a very backhanded way of commemorating this this event. Uh, so we'll be talking more about that as well as um, some actions that folks have taken outside of Stonewall to kind of undo the the whitewashing of the uh, the Stonewall riots as well. And a lot of times with history, it's kind of told from a certain perspective and we're told lies about it. And the folks who actually stood up, and in this case, and in many cases, uh, largely people of color are oftentimes not... Um, spoken of or talked about when we um, go back and, and talk about who took action. And so there's been a lot of effort made, I'd say by some folks, to kind of to change that, to make sure that everyone who has fought is very well recognized for that and celebrated for their work. <sighs> so um, Ashley sent me an article as well that's um, from Transforming Media, and you can check this out at transformingmedia.blogspot.com. And this also provides a link to the video that I played, as well as more of a summary of what happened. So I'm going to read about that. On July 16th, directly following the Tenderloin Museum's one-year anniversary celebration, uh, I interviewed trans pioneer and artist uh, Donna Persona. She was in SF during Compton Cafeteria Riots about San Francisco City's unbelievable whitewashing of Compton Cafeteria's Cafeteria Riots legacy. During the recent post-Trans March ceremony of June 24, 2016, the city renamed the intersection of Turk and Taylor, Gene Compton Cafeteria Way, instead of Compton Cafeteria Riots Way, as Donna and others voted on, and what the community assumed it was being renamed as. So not only has riots been whitewashed out, the name of an accomplice of police brutality has been snuck in. Gene Compton, the cafeteria's owner who conspired with the violent law enforcement, should not be honored. The people's resistance against transphobia, homophobia, and racist and sexist state violence should be. Hashtag drop the gene. Hashtag drop the G. Hashtag drop police brutality. And again, this was written by Ashley Love. And thank you very much, Ashley, for sending this uh, info uh, my way. If you are a listener and you have something that's um, also very important that you would like to send that you feel is not being covered in the media, please do send it my way. And I'll do my best to uh, give it a voice and to share it with everyone. So this leads into our next story, um, which is people taking action, which is always wonderful. And this is very similar. Um, well, it's similar in that uh, the, both of these riots were started by people that were not then honored for um, for doing it. And so if you've been to the Stonewall, the Stonewall Inn in New York, um, there there's a park that's like a parklet, I should say. It's not even a park, a parklet that's kind of directly across the street. And there's this, these these statues that are... Uh, that's my opinion of those statues, but you know, it's like two men together and two women together, but they're all white and it's like, mm, okay, right. So someone, many, many people have been like, hmm, what's up with this? And so folks have done something about it. So this article comes from uh, autostraddle.com. Anonymous activists just painted the Stonewall statues brown for Miss Major. And this was written by Audrey and this came out on August 18th. In an incredible interview between our trans editor, May, and the legendary black trans elder, Miss Major, they discussed the way that gay liberation statues of white cis people memorialized outside of Stonewall, white and cis, cis, white and ciswash, a movement led by black and brown queer and trans people. Let's get together a group of people to redo those goddamn statues across from the original Stonewall. Let's have the building at least claim who the people were that were there, not these white people that they had on it, and not, not, not these... 
Not these white people that they had on in the plaque in there, Miss Major told May. Someone should smash those motherfuckers up and turn them into the white dust that they are and put a couple of statues of people of color and at least make one of them an overly obnoxious transgender woman, six foot five, three inch heels, blonde red hair, lashes, beads, feathers, and put one of those fine white boys next to her. Now that I can handle. In response, two anonymous activists revamped the statues so they would better reflect the individuals who put themselves on the line for the liberation of their communities at Stonewall and throughout the history of queer liberation movements. They painted the statues brown and dressed them in wigs and bright costumes. And they have a link to the video. Uh, And you can see on the statues, they also have put a sign, or they've painted, Black Latina trans women led riots stop the whitewashing. These activists are two queer and gender nonconforming women in their 20s, one white and one a Latina immigrant living in Brooklyn. They saw Ms. Major's comments as a call to action and decided to respond. We were able to interview them via email on condition of maintaining their anonymity. And the question, why did you decide to paint and dress the statues? And they say, those sculptures are supposedly there to commemorate the Stonewall riots, but there isn't a trace of the actual riots in them. They're a slap across the face to the black and Latina trans women who got whacked with batons and shoved into police vans and still had the guts to continue to lead the fight for LGBTQ liberation. I mean, the people who modeled for the sculpture weren't even at the riots. That's just a straight up insult. It's also important to note that the Mildred Andrews Fund paid a presumably straight and cis white man $90,000 to depict gay people. It's no wonder that the sculptures are so impassive and tone deaf. We painted them because Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, Miss Major, Stormay, De Lavery, and all the other black and brown people who led the movement deserve credit for their courage and strength. What we did was re- rectification, not vandalism. Those statues are bronze, brown, underneath the layer of white paint. The symbolism behind that is infuriating. I know that some people are going to be angry, but I'm not concerned with preserving bullshit art. I'm angry about the whitewashing of LGBTQ history. And the next question is, what does Stonewall mean to you? Stonewall and Compton's cafeteria riot were breaking points. They were the moments when society's most disenfranchised decided that enough was enough and fought back. They were about subversion, not assimilation. Before its depoliticization, pride was about survival. Now it's just a problem that obscures how bad things still are for LGBTQ people who aren't white, middle class, and cisgender. Why is it important to you to center trans people and people of color in conversations about queer and trans liberation? We've got to keep talking about the 16 trans women um, that have been murdered this year and Black Lives Matter and police brutality and immigration and the respectability politics have got to stop. It's insane that gays booed Sylvia Rivera 42 years ago and just did the same thing to Genesette Gutierrez a few months ago. Voices like hers are the ones that need to be amplified the most. It's not liberation if it's not intersectional. Next question. Do you expect to face any negative consequences for this action? They say, we're hoping to stay totally anonymous. There was a camera crew at Christopher Park shooting a short documentary about the riots, and they got some footage of us, but agreed to blur out our faces. If, however, our names do service, we're prepared to deal with the potential consequences. It's better if we get arrested than if it happens to a trans woman who'd then be grouped with men and put in harm's way. Next. Anything you'd like folks to know about the action? To the people who will end up repainting the sculptures, brown and black lacquer exists. Think about what that means to repaint the statues white and then stop. To Miss Major, this is for you. Thank you. And there's an update from Miss Major. Uh, to whomever point- painted the stone wall statues in her honor, Miss Major is quote unquote thrilled, delighted, and enchanted. 
And that was wonderful to have some positive news out there and people taking action. And I think that's incredible. So uh, I've been playing some music. I was sent a CD, and this is from Jordan Hope Miller. And so it's uh, Reflect, Progress, Transcend. So we'll be playing this throughout the show. Um, let's see where we're at right now with that and play a little bit more and be back with some more news.
We do this to stop the desecration of Uchimaka. We do this for the next seven generations. We do this for the unborn children that are coming to this world. We're protecting the water. Our water is life. We stand for our land and our water. We will not let it get desecrated. They are not allowed to make no pipelines on this land. So this has been a, a clip from what's been happening in North Dakota. The idiots are wanting to build a pipeline, and folks are standing up and saying, no, this is not going to happen. And I should say idiots are more just the, you know, frackers, folks who uh, want to put the oil over human life, over human water, over land. And that's a very uh, abridged way of looking at it. But this is from uh, uh, B... Uh, Yes, Norel, blogspot.com, under censored news, under uh, Unicorn Riot. And the title of the video is Native Women Block Bulldozer at Dakota Access Pipeline Defense. And we posted this on the Facebook page, too, so you can see it. And, the, of course, the visual of the video gives much more uh, than the audio does. But it's folks actually going up to the bulldozers and not allowing this to happen. And many folks have been out there and are getting uh working to get these folks to stop what they are doing which is uh super super problematic uh there's numerous reasons why fracking is terrible and it's also just this idea that um, going on to native land like after everything that indigenous folks have been through in this country the, it continues it continues i mean there's still like the police brutality that they face and then there's also the the folks kind of coming in and the folks with the with the bulldozers and the trucks kind of going on the land and looking to do something that's extremely damaging for the earth and it just boggles my mind and i get that people have a job you know it's their job is to like go get oil their job is to you know i understand that the fracking industry it, it pays well just as law enforcement pays well and there's certain positions there's certain jobs that are created that pay well and in order for people to live in a capitalist society unfortunately many people turn to these positions because it's a form of survival and i want to say how can we all live in a place where those jobs are no longer there if the jobs aren't there then people will stop um people will stop working that for them those companies and i'm wondering how that can be and it's difficult when capital is so um fiercely divided i should say and that like not everyone has it and the folks who do have a lot of it oftentimes pay people to do evil things and i do think that fracking is evil that's an evil thing i do think being a prison guard um or are doing certain positions that end up where you are in a position of power that you end up abusing i feel like that can be used as evil and weapons manufacturers that's a big one right there too i feel like with a lot of other things you could say oh well i'm doing this in order to help people and i'm trying to think of I really want to just see all sides to something because I recognize that everything is gray. And then there's also just so much uh, torment that happens in the world. I can't see the, I want to be open-minded and accepting of ideas and challenged by ideas. And then I also want to call out when there are certain jobs such as weapons, weapons manufacturers, I can't see anything good about that. 
and I'm sure some folks might argue, oh, well, we want the good guys to have the guns. And I'm like, well, good, you know, like, or the big weapons. And, and ideally, we would have no weapons at all. Like, ideally, like, I don't th- I don't see how distributing more and creating more is, is going to help is going to help things at all and i recognize i kind of come from this idea of um, one of my favorite movies is the day the earth stood still from the 50s not the remake i haven't seen the remake but this idea that aliens spoiler alert aliens come down and they're like that's my sound effect and they make uh so the alien short long story short they come down and uh, americans are like oh my god something new i'm afraid <laughs> and so then they get the army out because the army is going to help protect everyone right and then the aliens are like, no, let's let's not do, like we come in peace, but Americans can't understand it. And then the alien Bort goes like and like makes all the weapons. I think it's him. Uh, one of them makes all the weapons disappear. They just kind of disappear. Guns, tanks, everything. And it's like, yeah, let's actually talk about things. And that would be my ideal situation: is if all the weapons in the world just were to, to disappear, and then where would we go from there? Not saying that people can't be terrible to each other without weapons, because of course that's happened and does happen. Um, I feel like that kind of escalates. Weapons escalate the situation, and we need to, to take a step back. I feel things have also just gone so off course with humanity that it's like, what can we even do to 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 change it? Like, we need to like just have just to stop, have a day where everyone just like kind of stops for a second. And it's like, wait a second, let's just think about what we've done and our you know our behavior and how we're complicit in in a lot of these systems that are in place and how can we work to create new systems if systems at all and or destruct deconstruct a lot of systems that are in place that kind of lead us to hurt one another and take advantage of one another and poison the earth in the meantime hmm so that was my little rant on that and um, i have much love and respect for everyone out there in north dakota who are standing up against the the access pipeline um, much love. And I do feel like a bit of a hypocrite. Like there's always good things happening and I'm not there in person. So of course I want to, uh, just really send a lot of good energy. Um, and if you are a listener and you are looking for something to do and you're able to get out there, then yeah. And also spread the word too, because it's not something I don't really watch TV. Although I would imagine that the mainstream, they probably are killing, caring more about the Olympics than they are about the pipeline. That's my assumption. I could be wrong. I would love to be proven wrong about a lot of things. I'd love to be like wrong, and be like, oh, the world's not terrible, and or, and I shouldn't say that. I, I should say perhaps uh, I'd love to be proven wrong in that, you know, there's not conspiracies out there and people aren't really, you know, there, there's a lot of just horrible behavior happening um, from people in positions of power. I would love to be proven wrong about that, but I'm not wrong. So that sucks. Moving along, <laughs> there'll be this, I guess that'll be like one of the, uh, one of the there's always themes to the show, and one one of the constant one is people in positions of power abusing their authority, and that's what one could say about the fracking, certainly, and that's also what one could say about the whitewashing of the events at Stonewall and Compton's Cafeteria. Um, it's the continuing to tell the story in a certain way and continuing to take advantage and not listen to people to really like take up space and not listen to people, and how problematic is that? There's a video um, that I'm going to share. Be sharing some videos today, and it's audio as well, obviously, or else I wouldn't be sharing it. So. And this is, uh, folks talk a lot about the minimum wage. Of course, I think Elizabeth Warren was saying that, like, now, if it had increased with inflation as it should, minimum wage right now should be around $32 an hour. It's not. Um, they signed in some places for it to go up to 15 I think that's by 2018. But I believe right now in California, it's, like, just at 12.25, And that's, you can't, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. So it should be up at least $32 an hour, at least for minimum wage. 
And so that's one thing folks are fighting for. And a lot of people who are against minimum wage increases are making exorbitant amounts of money who have never had to like live off of minimum wage. So something else that's, I think, really important that this video brings up is how about maximum wage? Why don't we establish that um, instead of, uh, or maybe in addition, in addition to making sure everyone has a living wage, why don't we cap it at how much someone can make? So this is what we're going to hear from. Distribution's completely out of line today. In fact, people have talked to me about the minimum wage, and I've shocked people and said, maybe what we ought to have is a maximum wage. I mean, if somebody makes $100 million a year, that's not enough. What could you possibly need if you made $100 million every year? And the case in point, the Walton family, right, that owns Walmart. Each member of that family makes billions of dollars a year, and yet their employees have to be government subsidized by we the taxpayers because they don't earn enough to not be subsidized. Something is gravely wrong with that. My position on that is if you work a 40-hour work week, I don't give a damn what the job is. If you work 40 hours a week, you should get paid enough money so that you do not require any government subsidy at all. Now, how you determine that or what that number is, we got to figure it out. But to me, if you work 40 hours a week shining shoes, washing dishes, whatever that might be, you should earn a living to where we, the government and the taxpayers, should not have to be subsidizing you. Uh, okay. I pretty much agree with that. That was, I didn't know who was speaking, and apparently that was Jesse Ventura. I never, if you had told me a while ago, I would, and I get that he's independent, and I'm more, I guess I'd say overall independent than any kind of party, although I do dig the Green Party, and a lot of what they stand for. Um, I wouldn't have been like, yeah, I'll play a Jesse Ventura clip, but sure enough, uh, that's what that was, and I think that's a good point to bring up. And of course, um... Yeah, obviously everyone. I feel like no one should live in poverty, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, and how much you do or do not work. The fact, I think if everyone had their basic needs met, then we could just go from there. If everyone had housing, everyone had food, everyone had health care, boom, no matter what you do, um, then we would call our, we could call ourselves a civilized society. If everyone was had their basic needs met, at the end of the day, basic needs met, I think that's what uh, would be good for the world. Oh, goodness. I talk a lot of shit about the police, and that's not going to change today. There's more, um, and just in terms of how they've been, oh, man. You know, and there's that part of me that's like, uh, I'd rather not go into it, but then it's like important that we recognize what's happening and how much power they have. And being aware of that, I think, is one step to, to think about um, how to... I don't know, create a new way of living, create a new way of being. There's also going to be in September, I'm going to talk more about this later, um, I, what, how not to call the police workshop. Because sometimes people say, well, if we don't have the police, what do we do? And that workshop is going to go exactly into that with um, folks who can talk about like communities holding each other accountable and other, other ways of existing in a world that does not involve um, calling law enforcement. As we have established on the show for the past almost three years now, numerous cases... Uh, every day, numerous populations are targeted by the police. I will also check the Guardian at some point before the show's over 
and give you the full count now for how many people have been murdered by police in the United States, and it's overwhelming. It's just disgusting. And that, thankfully, people are waking up to that and recognizing that, that this is happening and it needs to change, and that's still not enough. So I'll be talking about that in a little bit. Now, this comes from the ACLU. In a town near you, people are being evicted from their homes because they called the police for help. This is another reason not to call the police. And this is written by uh, Sandra Park, who's a senior staff attorney at the ACLU Women's Rights Project, and Vanya Lavelle, Lavey, a senior legislative counsel. This came out on August 17th. In cities and towns across the country, little-known local laws penalize calls to the police and can get people kicked out of their homes. These laws create a perverted point system where every 911 call or report of criminal activity at a rental property counts as a strike against renters and their landlords. And it doesn't matter whether people call the police for help or that they were the victim of the crime. These laws go by different names. Nuisance ordinances, crime-free ordinances, disorderly behavior ordinances, but they all do one thing. They tell landlords that unless they punish tenants for calling 911 or when a crime occurs in their homes, they will face steep fines, loss of rental permits, or property closure. Not surprisingly, landlords typically abate the nuisance by evicting the tenant and everyone in the home without any consideration of the circumstances that led to the call. Here are a few examples. In Norristown, Pennsylvania, a tenant's boyfriend physically assaulted her and she called 911. The police arrested her boyfriend, but told her that if she made more calls to the police, she would be evicted. After this, the tenant was terrified to call the police despite her boyfriend's escalating violence. When he came back again and stabbed her in the neck, her neighbors called the police and she was airlifted to the hospital. The city pressured her landlord to evict and days later she received an eviction notice. Fuck them. In Binghamton, New York, a tenant was a victim of the home invasion and burglary, and his neighbor called the police. The tenant told the police that he didn't know his assailants. They didn't know his assailants or why he was targeted, but the city cited the landlord, and the landlord assured city officials that all tenants in the building had been or would be evicted. In Berlin, New Hampshire, police responded to the home of a tenant who had attempted suicide and brought her to the hospital. Hospital staff later informed the police that the tenant had become disorderly and the police placed her in protective custody. Despite the apparent mental disability, the officers issued the tenant a citation under a local nuisance ordinance. In Blakely, Pennsylvania, a neighbor called the police and accused a tenant of leaving her child unattended on the porch of the home. The Department of Children and Youth Services deemed the allegation unfounded, but the call to the police was still counted as a strike against the mother under the local ordinance. In Lancaster, California, according to the Department of Justice, the chronic nuisance ordinance was used in a racially discriminatory manner by the city to incentivize landlords to evict African-American tenants. The enforcement of these laws against domestic violence survivors, crime victims, people living with disabilities, and people of color violates our sense of basic fairness and decency. It's also incredibly harmful, unproductive, and often unlawful. That's why over 29 United States senators today sent a letter to Julian Castro, Secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, urging his department to issue written guidance to cities and landlords about these ordinances in order to ensure that everyone has access to emergency services without fear of retaliation. 
The senators noted that these local laws have a disproportionate impact on victims of domestic violence by exacerbating housing insecurities that are unique to survivors because securing and maintaining adequate housing is often challenging and further increasing victims' likelihood of becoming homeless. Um, we have a phone call. Let's see. Hello? Hello. Gail. Gail, yes, Gail, always trying to sneak into the airwaves. Well, you're here. No need to sneak in. Hey, 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 you mean I made the grade. I made the point, huh? Yep, you're here. I'm here, you're here. Well, sure. What show is this anyway? This is the Weekly Review. What are we reviewing? Oh, everything. Yeah, everything. And we're talking about law enforcement. And right law now... Law enforcement. Yeah. I thought you'd be talking about the Olympics. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be getting to that. I've got my I've got a beef with the the whole idea of the Olympics, but uh, I'll be getting to that in a little bit later. What about that woman that jumped over the line and she won the medal? Oh, I didn't I didn't see that. I don't really follow the the athletics so much. I'm oh, more. Well, well, you must know about those people that claim they were robbed. Oh yeah, and they themselves were the ones causing trouble. <laughs> Typical American behavior. No, they don't. Uh, I don't think they. Would, we would own up to it. The way I get the story, that one of them told his mommy, and mommy told the reporters. Uh huh. <laughs> and that's got the ball rolling. I see. Because I guess he didn't want to tell mommy what he was really doing. Yep. So, so good. Now, what about law enforcement? Well, there's a story that I've been reading right now from the ACLU that's talking about how. The police have um, made threats to people um, and connections with like landlords to have people evicted if they call the police too much, and this is really targeting uh, survivors of domestic violence. The police are getting involved in harassing domestic violence people. Well, the, the police have never been really good at handling domestic uh, situations of domestic violence, but this um, goes more in terms with. Um, that uh, they there's like laws that um, have that tell landlords that they can punish that they need to punish tenants for calling 911 too much it's a little bit complicated I'm still reading it and trying to f- understand the, the sense behind it whoa and landlords can punish tenants for calling 911 mhm now, are you saying it's not a legitimate 911 call? Oh, no. These are what one would deem legitimate 911 calls. So there's, you know, instances of, like, home invasion or domestic violence. And the the first example they gave was uh, a tenant whose boyfriend assaulted her, and she called 911. And then the police arrested her boyfriend, but then told her that if she called the police more, that she would be evicted. I don't think this is right. Of course it's not right. It's definitely not right. I mean, if, I know you're not supposed to call 911 if it's not an emergency. But if it's an emergency, uh, I don't think they have a limit on that. Right. Ideally. I mean, the police are... I know one time years ago, uh, before I got sick and everything, I used to have to go to work. And I had neighbors upstairs that, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, they're playing music, banging around and stuff. And they were pissed at me because I kept calling the police. Uh-huh. And the police kept coming over. 
and the police try to shift it around. They say, well, you know, like there's nothing they can really do that I should um, not pay the landlord, landlord part of the rent, withhold part of the rent from the landlord uh, for them to fix up this noise deal. And that wasn't my deal. My deal was call the police, and I kept calling them, and I said, well, make it stronger this time. Because I had to get up and go to work, and I wasn't getting my sleep. And how the hell can I go to work and work if I'm not getting my sleep with these people or making noise right over my bed upstairs, banging around, playing music all hours of the night? Mm -hmm. And I kept, I'm up anyway, so why not call the police? Because I'm not sleeping anyway, so I called them and I kept calling them. So eventually, I don't know, it was a mess, man. I I mean, the police, uh, of course, they have uh, priorities. I mean, you call about this, you know, they priorities of there's a violent shootings and knifings and things like that. And then they have a, you know, they have a priority deal. And then the less violent, the less uh, urgent it is, it goes down at the bottom of the list. And you can wait hours for someone to show up. You know, because it's not on the top of the list of uh, bad violations. But that sounds all wacky, mm-hmm. that the landlord is going to get over there and punish people for calling 911. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Yeah, especially evicting someone. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty gross thing to do. Ah. So law and order, huh? Yeah, supposedly. Ah. Law and order for some. So you got the week roundup. What is the big story of the week? Well, I guess there's a lot of stories. There's a lot of things happening, of course. There's uh, So I was talking also about the pipeline. There have been folks who go to uh, block the pipeline that's being built in North Dakota. So a lot of folks have gone out there to stand up against that. See, I never heard anything. But what about the pipeline? What are they piping? Gas? Yeah, like ass. Ass. That's my Freudian slip. They're gas. Uh, they are, yeah, it's like fracking, so. Oh, fracking. Yeah, I know that deal, yeah. Yeah. So, eh, you know that the whole world is messed up. I agree. I talk about that every week. I, I don't think they're going to ever put it right. Yeah. They might improve it, but it's never going to be all perfect. I'm still waiting for Trumpy Bumpy. Trump, our hero. Our hero is fading. Uh, I'm hey, surprised. His own vice presidential candidate disagrees with him in public. Yeah, I can't stand any of them, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't hear him say anything about his uh, his running mate when he says Paul Ryan's bad and the running mate say Paul Ryan's good. Oh, I think they're all terrible. Well, you got to have some sucker be president. Do we, though? <laughs> well, who's going to run the damn thing? Mm. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, I mean, do we really need that, though? Maybe we should just take a moment and uh, think about what we've done for the past few well, hundred years. who's going to run the country? Do we really need the country to be run, though? It's kind of, we're, in a, we're not in a good place at the moment. <laughs> I kind of am worried about, I mean, there are people whose politics I agree with. Like, I, you know, I've mentioned before, like, folks on the more... You gr- see how bad it is now? yeah. And people are always talking about the police. Yeah. Well, not all the police are bad. There's a lot of good police. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And even though it's not a popular view, we need the police. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't need the ones that shoot people for nothing. No, no, no. But, but if we didn't have no police, you wouldn't be able to step outside your door if someone kicked your ass and cut your throat. Really? Oh, yes. You see all these violent things going on with the police? Yeah. And what do you think is going to happen if there was no police? There'd be fewer homeless people people being accosted. Come on, man. You know how people are. I I know. I'm not talking about the police killing people. Of course, that's not what you want. But if there is no police at all, what do you think? The milk of human kindness is going to flow and everyone's going to hold hands and sing loving songs to each other? Not necessarily. I do feel that communities can step up and protect one another as they have been doing oh, for a long time. Oh, you mean like that night, that uh, neighborhood watch guy that murdered the kid? I didn't hear about that. Yeah. You know, what is his name? George Zimmerman? Oh, ew. No, he's gross. Oh, yeah. That, that, is, that is a prime example of self-policing. You see? That's, so, that's the kind of self-policing we want, right? No, of course not. Well, what do you think is going to happen if we had no police? There'll be a lot more of that kind of stuff. But I feel like that stuff's already happening anyway. And the, if the police yeah, contribute... Yeah, going to be more. But more, the police... But, the police but, but then we would also take out the violence that the police are contributing, though. So how, how, how can we be sure? There, there definitely would be... I think there'd be less violence, though, because the, if the police end up causing a lot of the violence... That is a small portion of what nasty people would do if there was no police around. Mm. If there is no police around, you will not be able to step outside your door while someone waiting for you to knock you over the head and beat the shit out of you. But if everyone got their needs met, if everyone had housing and health care... How are going to get their needs met? Take the money that would be going to the police and fund it and give it directly to the people instead, towards resources. The police is not the where the money's going. They make a lot of, they like, in Oakland, they make like 62% of the budget, though. And they may, and they work hard for that money. Mm. You think it's nice to go out every day with a target on your back and people are going to want to shoot you just because you got a uniform on? People go out as, as a target without having a job like that. People go out just and are afraid to walk the streets just for being born into the bodies that they've been born into. You want to know where the real money's going is the damn politicians. Yeah, well, I'm not a fan of them either. You know, they're over there pissing on the people with the food stamp. Mm-hmm. And what do they have, an expensive account to go to fancy restaurants and yeah, have that's true. high-end meals? That's very true. And then they're over there worried about the few pennies they give the people with food stamps. Yep, yeah, absolutely. While they're going to fancy restaurants and having champagne and caviar Yep. and all that. And they don't even do their job over there. Yeah, that's true. They're not even getting the congressmen and the senators. They're not even doing their work. That's very true. They're shutting down the government. So they're getting paid expensive pays to not do their work. Yeah. They're supposed to be representing us. And all they're representing them is themselves. Yeah. So. That's true. And who wants to be president? That's a rotten job. (laughs) I agree. I absolutely agree. But it's just, it's like diamonds. People want diamonds because they're hard to get. People want to be president because it's a, a hard thing to achieve. Hmm. You know, what you can't have is what you want. That's true. I mean, what is a diamond? A diamond is a sparkly little rock. But people are crazy for diamonds because you can't get them. They're hard to get. That's human nature. 
you want what you can't have. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go, but thanks for the time. Sure, sure thing, Gail. Thanks for calling in. All right, bye. Bye. Okay, thanks to Gail for calling in. That was a, a lovely conversation, and it can, conversations can be civil, too. Even if folks don't agree on things, uh, we can listen to each other and talk about different points of view, and I think that's really beneficial, and I feel like we don't necessarily see that. There's a lot of yelling going on and a lot of condemning going on. So I'll be finishing up this little article here, little article. So that's why over 20, going back to from the ACLU, that's why over 29 United States senators today sent a letter to Julian Castro, secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development, urging his department to issue written guidance to cities and landlords about these ordinances in order to ensure that everyone has access to emergency services without fear of retaliation. The senators noted that these local laws have a disproportionate impact on victims of domestic violence by exacerbating housing insecurities that are unique to survivors because securing and maintaining adequate housing is often challenging and further increasing victims' likelihood of becoming homeless. Additionally, while some nuisance ordinances are supposed to address crime in a community, they often undermine public safety by deterring crime victims and their neighbors from calling the police, emboldening the perpetrators. The senators later to HUD also asserted that such ordinances may violate federal laws and it encouraged the department to issue guidance to munici municipalities. Such guidance would explain the federal protections, the Fair Housing Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the Violence Against Women Act that apply when these ordinances are enforced against domestic violence survivors, people with disabilities, and communities of color. No one should have to choose between being safe or being homeless, yet that's exactly what nuisance, crime-free, or disorderly behavior laws do when they penalize tenants who make 911 calls or are crime victims. HUD has already taken some important steps to address the discriminatory effects of these ordinances. We're glad that members of the U.S. Senate are urging them to keep up the good work and to do more. So... Um, Yes, and this is from the ACLU, so I just wanted to to share that. Okay, um, moving along, and there's much more to to speak speak about. Um, let's see here. Ah, uh, okay. So. You know, in People Magazine, they have these sections where it's like, who wore it better? And they have two people in the same dress. Because everything has to be a competition here in America. I, I don't like that. I'm not a competitive person. It doesn't really, that's not my, my thing. Um, but I was thinking of how, like, which police department is the worst? And there's a lot of them that can be nominated. So there was definitely, like, worse people saying Chicago was, was, Chicago Police Department was pretty bad. There are reports that of the, this is of a few days ago, so I'm not sure if this is um, up to the most recent statistic. But... Uh, the police department in Chicago has killed 49 people this year. Um, 39 were black, 10 were Latino, so Latinx. So all the people that pol the police have killed in Chicago have been people of color this year. And there's also people are saying that the Baltimore police are pretty awful. We all know that the Oakland Police Department, who have no leadership at the moment, um, because there was that big scandal involving um, them trafficking people, like, it's really bad. Really, really bad. And um, I can say that, but then it's also important to um, um, speak about the specifics. I'm looking for some 
had my, uh, the bookmarks erase here on where I'm at. So I'm going to look for the uh, number of folks. In the meantime, I'm going to, well, we're just about there. So I'll keep on talking. Yeah, there's a lot happening in the world. And maybe, yeah, let's take a break. Let's take a music break. I'll get some more statistics for people and some more stories. And I did mention, Gail talked about the Olympics. And when I do talk about the Olympics, it's about how terrible it is that they come into a town, a city, and kind of wreck it and uh, take it over. And then some of the Olympians act like asses. And uh, people have been, like, 4,000 people have been displaced, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a chart I'm going to read later. That will be, like, my one Olympic story of the day. And it talks about the number of medals people have won, uh, countries have won per capita. And even I'm assuming the U.S. is like number one in terms of like number of medals won. However, when you look at the landmass and the population, that doesn't mean shit because there are countries with a lot fewer resources that are a lot smaller who um, by ratio have just done a lot better. And the U.S. is not that, not that on top of things as they claim to be. And again, you know, you criticize something if you love it and you want it to make it better. And we all want to make this place better, don't we? So if you go to theguardian.com and check into with the counted, they've been tracking people killed by police officers. They did it last year, 2015, also in 2016. So far in 2016, we're up to 679 people have been murdered by the police. Um, so far, it's uh, 13 Native American, 169 Black, 109 Hispanic or Latino, 328 White, 10 Asian Pacific Islander, 50 Unknown or Other. And... That, of course, is, and it's grouped by, um, it's listed um, by the the ratio of, so there may be more folks total of, of one group, however, based on the number of people in the country, that's where, that's where the statistics uh, come in. So yes, and so far in June, well, June, we're in August right now. 47 people have been murdered in August so far by the police, and that's that's pretty disgusting. So we'll be back with some more news that will maybe make you angry if you have emotions left. I've heard also reports that certain pharmaceuticals uh, remove people's empathy. I don't know how much of that's true. I wouldn't put it past them. I feel like there's definitely a lack of empathy going on in this world right now, and we need a lot more of it. So I'm going to play in some more music, and then we'll be back with some more news.
and welcome back to the weekly review this is roman playing, playing some music from jordan hope miller and this is an album called reflect progress transcend we're here at mutiny radio here on 21st in florida you're welcome to call in with any questions concerns comments anything at all you may have we're free speech radio our number is 415-550-0511 we're located on the corner of 21st in florida coming up next weekend not this weekend but next is the uh noise pop 20th street block party and that's going to be a day of live music comedy and more in studio at mutiny radio so that's gonna be happening all day here it'll be live streaming at mutinyradio.fm and you can come by in person and check out a lot of cool things happening there's going to be a community helping community clothing swap where you can trade and or give clothes and that's going to be in the morning from 10 a.m to 2 p.m here at mutiny radio and throughout the day there's going to be a lot of other shows happening the labor and love show as per usual will be happening at 10 a.m to noon uh following that will be flat black plastic uh, which is an all-vinyl radio show. Then there'll be Art Time with Zach O. Wiseman at 2 p.m. At 3 p.m., a live interview with main stage performers from the Block Party. Then, 4 p.m., Mission Statement radio show live. And then at uh, 6 p.m., 6 to 8, is the Everything Goes open mic. So that's exactly what it sounds like. Everything goes. Talk about whatever you want. That'll be here, and I do believe Global Val will be hosting that. Following that is the Clubhouse Comedy Show from 8 to 10 p.m., and that's live here again, Mutiny Radio. So please come by on August 20th. There's a lot of cool things happening here, and a few blocks away, Mutiny Radio. Uh, yeah, that's the promotions bit. I very rarely do promotions for anything on here for many reasons. Uh, sometimes I forget to. Sometimes uh, it's difficult for me to, to sell things. Uh, but yes, important to talk about good things that are happening in the world as always. And that's one of them. Cool. So we left off and we're talking about who wore it worse, you know, which police department's the most corrupt. And I bet there's a lot that are all kind of contending for that honor, if they would call it an honor. So this comes from identities.mike. And this is DOJ Baltimore report shows how awful uh, officers were to rape victims and transgender women. And trigger warning, I should do a trigger warning before every fucking show because we're talking about the news and violence that's systemic and that's all around us and that many of us have either experienced and or have loved ones who have experienced on a daily basis. And uh, I hope, Gail, I hope you're still listening because there's also, I mean, when we talk about not having police, there's just like, a, it's a number. It's, I, I really feel like the, the negative things that happen um, with law enforcement is as far it's a lot of it's underreported because if they do something to you who do you go to who do you turn to and so thankfully people can at least turn to social media and or journalists if there's still journalists out there um, but you know power fucking corrupts absolutely so this is written by Aaron Morrison and again you can find this at identities go to mike.com DOJ Baltimore report shows how awful officers were to rape victims transgender women deep breath in deep breath out if this is this is a lot so just giving folks the advance warning if you want to like turn down the volume for a couple minutes while I read the story if not let's go through this uh, together Last year's police-involved death of Freddie Gray prompted a federal investigation through which the community la- this week learned just how racist and unjust the Baltimore Police Department has been towards residents of the ma- majority black city. But what it also uncovered was the police department's awful treatment towards sexual assault victims and transgender women. The report cites interviews with victims and victims' advocate who alleged Baltimore officers engaged in victim-blaming and were openly transphobic while on duty. 
National anti-sexual assault and transgender rights activists have previously cited poor training and anti-LGBTQ stigma among officers as the reason why so few victims will come forward to report assault to the police. Many fear being victimized all over again by police, advocates have said. The scathing 163-page DOJ document on Baltimore goes into gruesome detail. Officers made victims feel personally responsible for the repercussions of reporting sexual assault. While Baltimore police detectives interviewed women reporting sexual assault, some asked questions such as, why are you messing that guy's life up, according to the report? It goes on. We also reviewed email correspondence between a BPD officer and a prosecutor in which they openly expressed their contempt for and disbelief of a woman who had reported a sexual assault. The prosecutor wrote that, this case is crazy. I am not excited about charging it. The victim seems like a conniving little whore. Pardon my language. The BPD officer replied, LMAO, I feel the same. Fucking assholes. Officers disrespected transgender women by publicly demeaning them and referring to them with the wrong pronouns. The DOJ report described interactions with transgender individuals that reflect underlying unlawful gender bias. It goes on. One transgender woman, for example, described an incident after a traffic stop in December 2015 in which she was asked by the officer whether she identified as male or female and told the officers that she identified as female. Despite her response, the arresting officer then said to another officer at the scene, well, are you going to transport him? The same transgender woman described above, for example, alleged that when she arrived at intake, the female supervisor who was called to search her said, I'm not here for this shit. I'm not searching that. When she then tried to ask the supervisor to show her some respect, the supervisor said, like I said, I don't know you. I don't know if you're a boy or a girl, and I really don't care. I am not searching you. Authors of the report recommended that the Baltimore Police Department work more closely with sexual assault victims advocates and with LGBTQ support organizations to help victims better navigate the criminal justice system. The status quo would continue compromising the effectiveness and impartiality of the department's response to reports of sexual assault, the authors wrote. I am I have things to say and I'm extremely just it's so disgusting and I think this is this is why when we talk about not having the police instead of training them to be better how about not having them at all because that would seem like it would be a a quicker solution that's just disgusting behavior really disgusting so that's from Baltimore and the idea that I don't I'm it's definitely not isolated. I mean, there were reports of the San Francisco police having racist and sexist and homophobic texts. So um, it's, you know, that's just one, that that's like one small look that Baltimore is like one small look at one department. And this is, these exist all, all over. And that's really, really upsetting. Oh, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about that. Just that that's what that is. Uh, moving along, there's more things to talk about in the world. And here's something else that I, I brought up. And this was actually something positive. And again, the news tends to not really report on good things that happened or when people kind of come together. I wonder why that is. Maybe because a lot of the news, uh, 
is based on people being afraid of one another. So there's a, there's like, there's been this Islamophobia for a very long time. I think 9-11 definitely sparked a lot of that and here in the country and as well as abroad. And uh, it's disgusting that politicians and the military um, wish to continue to demonize people. I personally, I'm not really into any specific religion. Um, was raised uh, with the Reformed Judaism, and there are tenets of that I definitely dig and I like, and I feel like with most, with a lot of either spiritual or religious, a lot there could be some good in that, absolutely. And I do, do know a lot of people that various religions have helped, and it helps people out with their lives and becomes positive. And I've also seen the, the downside of how it can separate people and people can use it as an excuse for their bigotry and their hatred and their violence. So getting back to this, there was a clip here from The Independent, and this is a story that wasn't really covered on mainstream media because, of reasons I just said, and this is more than 30,000 Muslims from across the world meet in the UK to reject ISIS and Islamic extremism. The only thing the terrorists are achieving is to completely violate the teachings of the Holy Quran and of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, says Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad. And this is written by Matt Payton. And here's a little sound clip. It very much has been a, a joyful, loving um, embracement. Uh, and I find that I'm not a stranger, nor am I typecast by not being Amadai. Shoulders uh, in London, in South London, at mosque, and uh, we talked about many things. Now, one of the things we talked about was this great event that happens every year, and he explained that 30 to 40,000 people uh, came and had this event. And uh, kindly, he invited me to come here today and to just speak for a few minutes. Prophet Muhammad, he is his messenger. Passion, that love that sense of commitment to the betterment uh, of humanity at a local level, at a national level, at an international level. It's been a true honor and wonderful to be here today. We like uh, you coming to your home, so it's not you're actually somebody else. So it's, it's the warmth of the community which embraces you all the time. You've seen all the other mayors and MPs, lords. I think every single person in the community here in the UK cherishes what MD community doing. Alright, so that was from The Independent. You can find the full story at Weekly Review page, which is at Facebook.com, which I know is evil. Facebook.com slash Weekly Rev. And I fuck you to Mark Zuckerberg for naming the fucking hospital after himself. Uh, he donated, for folks who don't know, San Francisco General Hospital, which has been around for a long time, uh, Zuckerberg and his foundation, or whatever you want to call it, donated some funds to it, and now it's renamed the Zuckerberg fucking hospital. If it was Zuckerberg fucking, I mean, that would, I'd have more. I'd be like, haha, that's funny. But to put your name on something, uh, you know, I thought the idea is you, you do things because they feel good and because they help people and not to necessarily get that self-satisfaction of like, look at me, build a statue in my honor. I did, I did a good thing. Ideally, we would do things 
and not necessarily take credit for it or just to do it and be done with it and then to move on to the next thing. Not to name a fucking ho- and plus a hospital. To name a hospital after yourself? Like, just build the fucking hot. Just do it. And uh, I think it's just, ugh, ugh. And I was speaking with someone who has to write the name of the hospital on forms and now it has to be through insurance and it has to officially say Zuckerberg or have the initials as Zuckerberg in it instead of just saying SFGH. Ugh. Anyway, that being said, I do have a page on Facebook, so I'm part of the problem, am I? If I'm not giving them money, am I? I don't know. I'm still using their platform, so... Again, we're kind of, it's hard not to, it's hard to live off grid, hard to live out of the system and maintain contact with what's happening and with loved ones and to provide information and learn. So you can find that full article at facebook.com slash weekly rev. Again, you're welcome to call in if you'd like, 415-550-0511. That's always the case. We always welcome folks to either come in in person and or call and talk about what's happening um, with you. Okay, so, yes, you probably didn't hear about it, but 30,000 Muslims just marched against ISIS and extremism, so you can check out that article. And I'm going to be moving along to, uh, there's another organization I've recently joined, and I dig a lot of what they have to say, and that's the Jewish Voice for Peace, and they have a statement that I'm going to read, and this is a Jews of Color Caucus Statement in Solidarity with the Movement for Black Lives. As a caucus, we fully endorse the Movement for Black Lives platform, in its entirety without reservation. And you can find this at jewishvoiceforpeace.org. Yeah, depending on where you are in the country, you can find maybe a JVP organization near you or start one of your own. And there's like a lot of information about the Syrian refugee crisis, uh, supporting the right to boycott, um, supporting refugees and pledging to fight Islamophobia and the idea that yes, Palestinians should be free. And so I'm going to uh, look here and open up this, this statement at this moment. And yes, right now there is a backlash There's um, for folks who are talking about boycotting and, and divesting uh, from Israel. There are folks who then, uh, Cuomo, for instance, the governor of New York, has seeked to attack folks who are, you know, moving forward with the boycott. And uh, there's really just like kind of altering of, of free speech. So this is the Jews of Color Caucus Statement in Solidarity with the Movement for Black Lives, and this came out on August 5th, and it's by J-O-C-S-M. The statement was first drafted two weeks ago to address the nationwide crisis of anti-black police violence and show solidarity with nationwide Black Lives Matter organizing. It has since been updated to address disturbing anti-black and anti-Palestinian actions taken by members of the organized U.S. Jewish community in response to the release of the Movement for Black Lives platform. The Jews of Color Caucus, organized in partnership with Jewish Voice for Peace, is in solidarity and co-resistance with the Movement for Black Lives, a feminist and intersectional struggle dedicated to fighting systematic violence against black people in the United States. Hashtag Black Lives Matter works in concert with other long-standing intercommunal and transnational organizing to push for change across the country and around the world. We honor and celebrate the many modes of resistance BLM has taken recently, from street protests in Baton Rouge and Minnesota to the Freedom Square encampment in Chicago and WNBA players' protests across the country. We also laud recent protests in France and the UK resisting police violence against black people while including the plight of refugees in their struggle. 
Together, we mourn the televised police murders of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, and Corin Gaines, along with the 573 others slain by police this year. We also mourn those killed in police custody like Sandra Bland, Elliot Williams, Natasha McKenna, and Freddie Gray. We call for those responsible for these killings to be held accountable. As a group that seeks to center disability justice in our organizing, we condemn the racialized ableist violence that is a major factor in many of these state-sponsored deaths. This was exemplified most recently in the shooting of Charles Kinsey, a black caregiver wounded by North Miami police who claimed they were trying to shoot Arnaldo Rio Soto, Kinsey's distressed autistic patient. Black people, regardless of ability, have reasonable fear have reasonable fear of police in this country, and we reject attempts to trivialize this justified fear. In this particularly painful moment, we reach out to the black Jewish members of our consistence, uh, constituency, who, in addition to the struggle of being black in the United States, face white supremacy and erasure in the broader Jewish community. Extending BLM's transnational focus on dismantling state-sanctioned anti-black racism across the globe, we are also in solidarity with Ethiopian Jews protesting police violence and racial profiling in Israel following the death of Joseph Salamsa and many others. We mourn them with you. Our hearts go out to the often forgotten victims of Israeli anti-black violence, Sudanese, Eritrean refugees, Afro-Palestinians, and black Hebrews. Your struggle must not be erased because your identities don't grant you citizenship or fit into the common logistics common logics of Israeli nationalism. We extend this solidarity without placing conditions on personal beliefs or state affiliation because racist state violence is never justified. The Movement for Black Lives Platform. As a caucus, we fully endorse the Movement for Black Lives Platform in its entirety without reservation. We do this first and foremost because it was created as a response to the sustained and increasingly visible violence against black communities in the US and globally. This fact must be foregrounded in all discussion of the platform, which was created to protect black lives. We are appalled at the actions of the white U.S. institutional Jewish community in detracting and distracting from such a vital platform at a time when black lives are on the line, simply because the organizers chose to align their struggle with the plight of Palestinians. The U.S. black relationships to Palestine and Israel has never been monolithic, but there are deep historical ties between black and Palestinian struggle that go back to the black power era. Many attempt to co-opt black struggle while demeaning these connections is an act of anti-black erasure. We recognize that the backlash experienced by BLM activists is part of a white supremacist power structure that is trying to maintain the status quo. We call upon the Jewish community to defend BLM activists from this backlash, especially since many Jewish institutions themselves have contributed to it by making the sweeping claim that solidarity between black struggle in the U.S. and Palestine is anti-Semitic. Similarly, Jewish organizations fail black people when they intentionally avoid critique of Israel in their solidarity with BLM. Israeli state violence has long targeted black lives alongside Palestinians, and hiding under the pretense of focusing solely on domestic issues does not absolve U.S. Jewish groups of complicity uh, with and perpetuation of Israeli anti-black racism and settler colonialism. We reject attacks on Palestinian organizers who are condemned as anti-Semitic for simply talking about their own dispossession and struggle. Such condemnation is inaccurate, racist, and amounts to a violent form of silencing. We reject similar attacks targeted at Jews of color and other Jews organizing in solidarity with Palestinians. 
Furthermore, we condemn the delegitimization of black and Palestinian struggle, especially by white Ashkenazi Jews that attempt to assert sole claim to the limits and bounds of what constitutes actual genocide. As a heterogeneous Jewish people who have endured multiple genocides, the historical retellings of which have often erased the narratives of Jews of color, we embrace rather than shut down the multiple uses of the term genocide for what it can reveal about our current crisis. The violence experienced by Palestinians and by black people at the hands of the state is well documented and is arguably, arguably genocidal, as many activists have claimed. To respond with specific markers that are unmet in the current genocide against black people and Palestinians is an act of violence and complicity in the systemic state-sanctioned murder of black people and Palestinians. Recent statements by the Boston JCRC, TRULA, the Rabbinic Council for Human Rights, and the Union for Reform Judaism condemning the BLM platform also send the message that the lives of black Jews, along with black Gentiles, directly affected by U.S. police brutality, are less important than protecting Israel from scrutiny. We reject this message and call on these groups to commit themselves to honor the leadership of Jews of color, including those critical of Israel. Police exchange programs between the U.S. and Israel. As a group that organizes for racial justice, specifically in solidarity with the Palestinian struggle for liberation, we resoundingly echo uh, hashtag ATL Israeli's demands that Atlanta police cease coordination with ICE and that Georgia end its police exchange program with Israel. We roundly condemn Atlanta Mayor Kasim Reed's refusal to honor this demand, an act that legitimizes both U.S. and Israeli po racist police violence. Police exchange programs with Israel are widespread in the United States and can be tied to abusive tactics used against protesters in communities like St. Louis, New York City, and Oakland. Atlanta's Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange, G-I-L-E-E, -E, program sends U.S. police to Israel to learn violent and Islamophobic counterterrorism methods tested on Palestinians living under occupation, and brings Israeli police officers to Atlanta where they learn tactics of the U.S. war on drugs, which are later deployed against mostly Palestinian, Mizrahi, and Ethiopian communities. Israeli police routinely kill Palestinians, and sometimes those radicalized as such accused of political violence, part of a culture of extrajudicial killings often accompanied by mob brutality. This was exemplified in the police killing of Fadi Alun and the combination police shooting and lynching of Etrian refugee uh, Haftam Zarum last year. While U.S. and Israeli methods of militarized policing developed in separate contexts, the extent to which they mutually inform and expand on each other should be cause for alarm to all those committed to racial justice. As those promoting militarized police violence against our communities form alliances, so must those organizing in resistance to them. As Jews of color in solidarity with Palestinians, we feel doubly committed to ending race-based international state violence. The U.S. prison divestment movement and the boycott, divestment and sanctions, BDS movement, seeking to divest from Israeli apartheid, have long worked together on university campuses and in municipal governments, often targeting companies like G4S that profit from both struggles. As a caucus, we commit to supporting and building on this work that directly targets those prof profiting from police murder from the U.S. to Palestine. Demands. We call on the U.S. Jewish community to end its legitimization of anti-black racism through its combined attacks on the Black Lives Matter platform and U.S. Palestine solidarity. We call on the U.S. Jewish groups that have engaged in this anti-black violence to retract their racist and harmful statements. 
We called the U.S. Jewish community to end its legitimization of U.S. and Israeli state violence, police militarization, and violence through its role in promoting and organizing police exchange programs that directly contribute to violence against black and brown people in the U.S., Palestinians, and Jews of color. We call the U.S. Jewish community to examine the ways it promotes an image of Jews as necessarily white allies to the black struggle, thereby erasing the strong presence and leadership of black Jews. We call on the mainstream U.S.-based Zionist movement to stop simultaneously promoting tactics that harm Jews of color while erasing Jew of color struggle. We call on you to erase the use of our bodies as a moral shield for Israeli occupation. And if you'd like to see that all, you can go again check out uh, the Jewish Voice for Peace, jvp.org, I believe. Just type in Jewish Voice for Peace. Um, I need to get a little bit of water. There's a few more things to talk about for sure. There's, um, let's go right into it because I know we're running a little bit low on time here. Um, the flooding that's happening in Louisiana and a lack of uh, support happening there. Meanwhile, asshole Governor Scott Walker in Wisconsin has called in the National Guard to um, to confront people who have been upset with yet another police shooting in Milwaukee. And the person who was shot in Milwaukee, um, the reports that this person had been hit by a cop car before and was in the midst of a lawsuit against the police, and the police killed him. And um, that's so that's kind of what happened. And then folks have been rioting, and there's... there's and then uh, Seville Smith was the name of the person uh, who was 23. And um, apparently he was allegedly armed with a gun and he fled a traffic stop. That's the report. But of course we know what the reports, who knows what's actually real. And um, so yes, just 23 years old and that was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And that was on August 11th. <coughs> Excuse me. I think I need to play another song. So I'll have some voice left to end up the show. Um, so we'll do that, and then I'll be back with uh, a little bit more.
the weekly review this is roman we're coming to the end of the show we got another 10 minutes left or so i mentioned a couple things i really wanted to get to and as always don't get to everything because there's a lot of shit happening in the world all the time and there's only a small portion that we can get to in, in the time that we're together but we definitely wanted to recommend this workshop that's happening i think it's already anyway september 24th this is a saturday saturday 
Saturday, September 24th. How not, how to not call the police ever workshop. And this is happening at Saturday, Saturday, September 24th from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. at 2969 Mission Street, the Answer Coalition office in San Francisco. Save the date, how not to call the, the, the cops um, ever workshop. Featuring the poor, unhoused, disabled, black, brown, indigenous, elder, and youth leaders, artists, cultural workers of Poor Magazine, Prensa Pobre, uh, Poor News Network, PNN, Homefulness, who have practiced this concept for 20 years, even throughout their own collective traumas, colonization, gentrification, family violence, eviction, incarceration, displacement, betrayal, and the attempted takedown of the landless people's movement called Homefulness. Uh, walking this walk among a poor and indigenous peoples-led movement means facing our demons all the time. Because we all come out of collective trauma experiences of racism, white supremacy, ableism, family violence, false borders, eviction, houselessness, criminalization, elder child abuse, sexual violence, rape, incarceration, police violence, genderism, hate crimes, and so much more. This workshop will include and launch an ongoing teaching on poor people's, traumatized people's accountability, how to redefine a Western white supremacist notion of security and hold each other through trauma and into a true definition of interdependent safety. The workshop will feature extended family members and family elders from the Idris Selly Foundation, ISF, uh, Crip Hop Nation, Sogariato uh, Land Trust, and Poor Magazine's Family Elder Council, uh, Elephant Council, where decisions are made, and Revolutionary Building Circle at Homefulness, Food, and much more. Uh, email poormag at gmail.com to register in this history making workshop. Again, you can email them at poormag, P-O-O-R-M-A-G at gmail.com to register. And again, this is happening Saturday, September 24th from 3 to 6 p.m. How not to call the police ever workshop. If you're on Facebook, you can also find it on Facebook. It's an event listed as well. It's hosted by Poor Magazine, P-O-O-R. Check it out. Cool. Okay. There's a lot that's happening. Um, also, the the DOJ also, I think it was the DOJ, they listed um, they're going to ban private prisons, however, or they're going to stop investing in private prisons, however, which is good, you know, baby steps forward. However, there's also uh, noting that there are, that, that might lead to more uh, use of the immigration prisons. So we can maybe talk more about that next week when we have more time. Um, but, but I didn't want to like skip that or say it's not important because yes, it's important to at least take action to say, no, they're no longer going to invest in private prisons for multiple reasons why private prisons are terrible and a bad idea. Um, but then also just the recognizing that that's not all prisons. And, uh, you know, when one problematic system is shut down or is stopped, um, to look to where they're going to also look for profit from the next group, like, how is that going to, you know, it's not just like, oh, they're doing a good thing and they're going to apologize. It's like they might stop doing something, but then they might continue the same behavior somewhere else, such as in immigration prisons. So that's really important to think about. Gail called in and she was talking about the Olympics and I'm like, huh, what's that? Um, and so this is an interesting chart. This is a story about the Olympics, but it's really about our our observations about the Olympics. And um, this is medals per capita. And when, you know, they, they list, you know, the countries that have the most medals, and I mentioned this before, they don't really talk about the number of the population or the landmass or the resources. And the U.S. puts a lot of money into the Olympics. Not so much other things, but the Olympics. So this is our, our rank of the Olympic glory in proportion. Medals per capita in proportion, which changes the story 
a lot. Changes the. I think that's maybe. Yeah, at the end of every show, I'm like, "What's the theme of this show? What did we What did we learn today, everyone, about how not to trust people?" But really, how um, stories are told, and uh, I'll, I'll finish a story, then I'll, I'll finish up with some kind of idea about that. But I think a lot of it so far for me today's stories have been um, just the folks not wanting to give up control, whether it's the uh, the, the folks who are fracking the land. Um, whether it's, um, I would say white Jewish folks not willing to listen to any criticisms about Israel, um, whether it is the police being the fucking police, um, and victim blaming, uh, that seems to be a constant thread is, is the folks in power or with, with perceived power, um, not wanting to give that up and not willing to listen to other people who have every right to be heard. So this is going into the medals per capita Olympic glory in proportion. Number one is Granada. They have two weighted medals. Their GDP is 0.82. I don't know much about GDP, the you know, general, oops, gross product. Uh, domestic. Anyway, let me go back to this page here. I was too excited and clicked on it. And here we go. And the GDP per weighted medal is 0.41. Next is Fiji. They have four weighted medals. GDP is 3.81, which is, and their GDP per weighted medal is 0.95. I'm not sure how well these these are communicating, but I think it's really important just to look at this. Number three is Armenia. Four is Jamaica. Five, North Korea. Six is Georgia. Seven, Kenya. Eight, Bahamas. Nine, Mongolia. Ten, Uzbekistan. Eleven, Ethiopia. Twelve, Bahrain. Thirteen, Cuba. 14, Croatia, 15, Hungary, 16, Kosovo, 17, New Zealand, 18, Slovenia, 19, Belarus, 20, Azerbaijan. Um, can we see a bigger photo? Let's see. Enter full screen. Nope, that's where it gets cut off. But I heard the U.S. is like down at like 69. It's not 69, but it's down pretty low. And so based on our GDP, based on the huge population, the fact that we have the most medals is, in the end, not anything to be that excited about. <sighs> That's a happy place to end, is it? Well, it's 152. Uh, coming up next will be Global Vow with Women's Magazine, followed by the Common Thread Collective. Um, also, I'm going to just also um, want to reiterate that folks can support and sign this petition. We spoke with Kinfolks and Samson McCormick last week, and there was a fun run that was started a while ago, last year, and then it's been appropriated by the Pride, by Oakland Pride, and they've been just, like, being really unfriendly. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. And it, uncommunicative. So I want to, like, um, show its position. So far, there's 295 signatures looking for more. It's at change.org. We won't support the stolen Oakland Pride 5K run, Erasures of Black Women's Genius. And you can sign this and also come through. There's also more information if you go to spectrumqueermedia.com. So I want to share that with people. Um, I'll do a brief read. We have the time. Why not? So this is on the petition. Um, when we speak, we are afraid. Our words will not be heard or welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak. That's Audrey Lord, the Black Unicorn, a litany for survival. Um, 
Our private appeal to Natalie of the, pro- the perfect sidekick recently renamed the Queer Gym was ignored. So we are now reaching out publicly. We do not contribute to the abuse of black women's genius and the, to, and the erasure of a community-led events origins. We will not support, attend, or endorse the perfect sidekick's co-opted Oakland Pride 5K run. We, the supporters of the original 2015 first annual Oakland Pride 5K run, which was conceived by kinfolks, publicly acknowledged by Oakland Pride and by the East Bay Express, and actualized by a brilliant group of black women for the entire community to enjoy what Natalie Huerta of The Perfect Sidekick recently renamed the Queer Gym to, one, release the original 2015 first annual Oakland Pride 5K run creators, the permit, which she assumed in order to create a co-opted version of their work, two, offer refunds or allow folks to use their refund as a donation to a black LGBTQ community nonprofit from a list that we are amassing, and to accept the original organizer's request for direct communication in order to facilitate healing meditation, mediation, and support a restorative justice session. We also want David Helton from Left Magazine to clarify his role and outline benefits in the Oakland Pride contract negotiations that led to his involvement in Natalie's appropriated run. We will not support the perfect sidekick recently renamed the Queer Gym until the three main demands are met. After the permit is returned to the volunteer organizers of the 2015 run, we wholeheartedly welcome Natalie to join us all on September 10th to run with the community in support of the second annual run walk as she and all of us did last year as community members and volunteers. Support the original run. Sign up as a team or as an individual for the free second annual Oakland Pride 5K and 10K run at www.oaklandpridefunrun.eventbrite.com. Please sign and share, background and info, photos. They have a link to that, a petition link to send friends. They have a link as well. So again, you can find this at change.org and go to spectrumqueermedia.com for more of that information as well. So with that being said, time to wrap up the show. We learned a lot today. Uh, I was able to maybe voice my concerns a little bit and articulate my concerns. And there's a lot to be concerned about, right? If we're on planet Earth and we're looking at how humans are treating each other and the Earth, there's a lot to be sad about. And there's a lot to talk about. And let's get us talking and finding solutions. That'll be a good thing to do. All right. So, finishing up, playing more music from Jordan Hope Miller. Hope you enjoyed the show. We're also on iTunes. You can listen to us on iTunes. Uh, Yeah, if you liked us, that's great. Tell a friend. If not, we welcome constructive criticism. Have a great week, and we'll be back next week.
sun.